about to reconcile, wreck and wreck and wreck We about to reconcile, bitch. We about to We about to reconcile, we about to reconcile, we about to reconcile, reconcile, Ladies and gentlemen, once again to RRI World, we are once again in a very fascinating podcast episode in Reconcile This, coming straight from the streets of Fort Worth. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host with the most, your guy for the ride, your professor, and then the lesser, Dr. Frederick Gooding Jr., aka Dr. G. And I'm armed with my co-host, with the co-most, the mellifluous, the marvelous, the magnificent, another than Mr. Perkins. Mr. Perkins, how you doing, my brother? Dr. G, it's a beautiful Saturday. How you doing? Well, I am super fantastic. Thank you for asking. Still catching my breath after that marvelous day that was called Reconciliation Day. That, that was amazing, was it not? Absolutely, absolutely. And but but here's the deal: the hits keep coming. Yeah. If you thought that was amazing, I, I think we have an amazing opportunity to have a conversation with, honestly, ladies and gentlemen, an individual that you're going to thank us, you know, for getting the chance to get to know a little bit better here this afternoon. And that is none other than Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. We are so very pleased and privileged to have this opportunity. Reverend Parker, good afternoon to you, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing this fine. <clears throat> Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and get right down to the mix. Reverend Parker, when you talk about your life, um, because what we'll talk about your, your connection to, to history in a moment. But when we talk about your, your life, we would like to start with the idea that you are indeed a man of faith. When do you recall being called you know, to, to serve? And when did you recall you know, understanding that you had an anointing and that you actually wanted to minister to others and preach the good gospel of faith and love and reconciliation? I often think about Jeremiah uh, he was kind of concerned about not being able to speak, and God reminded him, as it is with all of us, you're calling before you was in your mother's womb. God said, you're calling mm. and you're anointed. We just have to discover it, and it comes out. But I'm a third uh, person generation of the Church of God in Christ, very, very religious, very strong. My grandfather was a preacher, most right, and uh, Emmett Till's uh, parents were also very religious, and so uh, from a child, you're aware of, uh, of uh, God and Jesus and reconciliation, that's just part of your life. It's not mm -hmm. something you got to conjure up. Mm -hmm. You hear it all the time. So it's, it's, and once you hear it all the time, it's like ABCs, you know it, you know it's there. Whether you do it or not, you know it's there. And that's from, that's from a child on, child on Sunday school. I mean, it wasn't a question about going to Sunday school. They didn't, they didn't take us to Sunday school. My daddy mm. was there and told us to come on, you know. <laughs> you know never give it a thought. And then in the evening, they used to have BTU and YPWW and 
all of the churches. We right there on the spot. Mm. So, so uh, Reverend Parker, you know, I'm very honored to be able to have this conversation with you. And I know we had a, a wonderful event back in February. We brought you on as our keynote uh, for the reconciliation uh, week. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to explore is kind of taking it back a little further. If you could, for the listeners, uh, tell us, you know, where you come from, uh, well, you know, your family structure, siblings, parents. I know you mentioned that you're a third generation uh, in the church. Uh, but outside of that, you know, growing up, who who are you before you got uh, to to the pulpit as a preacher? Uh, innately, I was the type of person didn't like to stay home, mm. always gone. Outside, when I was a child down in Slaughter, Mississippi. Mm. Uh, I had a dog, and we near, lived near the Quiver River. I was born right on the Quiver River, mm. right across the four forty two. And they said that boy is gonna come floating down the river one day. Mm. I'm gone. Me and my dog, we mm-hmm. we going fishing or something. We didn't know mm-hmm. what we were doing, but I always like to. I thought I, my ambition was to travel the whole world. Mm. I got to quite a bit of it. Some of them I went twice: Switzerland, uh, Israel, Africa, and different places I've gone. Uh, not for the finery, but to see the different cultures. And, and I have that uh, acquisitive nature about myself. I didn't, I wasn't able to uh, feel it all, but I got stuck now doing the ministry, building the church in a house down in Central America. So right now, mm. they kind of knocked me out of my other extensive traveling. So by nature, I'm, I'm a, it's innately, your calling's in you, so it's there, you know. All you have to do is get out there and do it. And, and, and right. when you say that, that, that makes me harken back to your other comment about, you said reconciliation was just part of how you were living life and so it wasn't as if it was raised, something yeah. different it was just how you were raised and so mm-hmm. I mean so when you say that's how you're raised how did you pick up on these concepts was it just just seeing your aunts I mean you know the way they talk to you or was it just I mean I'm just trying to understand like how you were able to absorb these concepts because for many of us this reconciliation is a new topic right it's, it's a new idea for many but, but, but this idea that this was just part and parcel of how you were raised, I find that quite profound. Yeah, it was innately, it's always taught, I mean, taught very strongly because we realize the conflict that lies between people in your home. And we know the biggest problem in the Bible say your foes are going to be them with your own household, hmm. or start your own household, your own family, your own church, your own neighborhood. So we talk constantly how to deal with those. It's 90, 99% of how you handle it. It's going to come. Uh, my book titled Few Days Full of Trouble, mm. Job 14.1. So that's a given. Can't get away from that. So we, we're taught all along the way how to handle it, how to deal with it. Now, we realize that it, uh, on your own, you can't do this, and then you'll be God. So you got to look got, look for the heels and come to your help. He said, have not because you If any man like wisdom, ask God who gives it liberally. Mm-hmm. So you got to have a relationship with God to be able to do it. Otherwise, you, you can't do it. You just mm-hmm. know it and you be like Apostle Paul said, the things I should do, I don't do, the things I don't want to do, that's, you know, vice versa. So it's always there, but you need the power from God to be able to carry it out. Mm-hmm. And that's the secret right there. Mm-hmm. I see. And when you talk about conflict within the home, right? I mean, right. because that, that, you know, that, that's a very important ingredient that many of us often struggle with. How important is telling the truth in negotiating conflict with the people you love who are close to you? Hmm. You have to do it. You know, 
So we're not doing too good in, in America. <laughs> first, first time marriage, 55% in divorce. Yeah. Right. Second time, 70%. Third time, 90%. Mm. So we're not doing good with conflict. Mm. But we that are, are believers and in a relationship with Christ, we know we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Mm. Uh, so we, we know that we uh, uh, have to have the power from God. One thing you learn very quick in life that you can't do this on your own. Mm. Uh, it's a struggle. You, you just can't do it. You say, you know, sometimes you reform, but man, I had a transformation. I had a radical change. Once you have that radical change, you're on your way. But I, I had many reformations, reforms I'm going to do better and I do good for a while and I fall off. Mm. When I got, tw- got to be 22, radical change, man. Hmm. It's nothing, it was nothing like it, you know, it was, God said, my yoke is easy, my burden. Like, it's easy for me now. God's mm. way the most easiest way, because mm. he said it is. And if mm. you do it right and got the right ingredients in you, it's going to mm. work. Mm. That's Reverend what we're going to Park, That's Reverend what Park, You mentioned, you said at 22, you had a radical change. Mm-hmm. Can, can, you, can you expand a little bit more about what you're referring to? I had, I was, um, well, at 16, I promised God when I heard the people talking outside of my grandfather's house, 2.30 in the morning. Hmm. I say, we're getting ready to die. These people finna kill us. Mm-hmm. I knew my relationship, according to my teaching, was not good with God. And when death, you feel death is imminent, all wrong you've done come before you. Hmm. So I said, God, if you just let me live. I mean, you didn't, I didn't need a missionary preach or nothing. I've been taught and it's there. I said, if you just let me live, I'm gonna get this straight. I'm gonna do it right. I'm gonna do it right. Mm. Of course, uh, I, uh, when you're scared, sometimes you make your mouth say what you want to say. Mm. A couple of days later, the police had me for gambling, of course. And, mm. But you don't make a vow to God and break it. Mm-mm. He said, best not to make it. And every now and then, that would come up before me. Nobody make you make that vow. Nobody make you do that. All my life, I can be somewhere having a good time. And all of a sudden, because people are praying for you. Have me on their mind, and God put you in the hearts of people, and they pray for you. And I got a feeling, I knew at one point there that if I didn't make a change, something's going to happen. Hmm. He said, death of that, certain people. I knew that I had to make a change. So a voice came to me. Hmm. God helps our infirmities. He's always there to help us. Never leave us doubtless or helpless. So the voice came to me and said, ask God to give you a mind to do right. And that's when that radical change came. I couldn't even believe it myself. I mm. thought I was going to be in the church and I got to give up the women. You know, it was the number one thing. <laughs> was, nobody, you can find nobody in the church in their 20s all day. <laughs> you see, Mr. Perkins is laughing because I guess he can relate. I, 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 don't, I wasn't laughing because I don't know what y'all are talking about. But, but, but that, that, that's another topic. But, 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 um, but Reverend Parker, um, when you say 2.30 in the morning at your grandfather's house, to let in our listeners, we're referring to Mr. Moses Wright from Mississippi, right? From the Delta. And we're referring to an incident back in 1955 where your cousin um, was sleeping in the same bed with you and was roused up in the middle of the night, taken, and, uh, and, and unfortunately, the rest is history. Um, so when, when, when you were there, um, and, and, and let's say his name, his the name of your cousin is Emmett Till, and we're, we're very thankful that you, as the last living cousin, 
of uh, Emmett Till are carrying on his legacy and memory and fighting for reconciliation, truth and justice. But just to go back to that, that night, is it a night that you remember? I mean, do you think about it often? I mean, like, like I'm just curious what type of emotions, what your body felt like knowing that th this sheer horror, I can't even imagine like a movie that, that, that could be as horrific in, in, in terms of what you would went through as a young 16 year old kid. I'm, I'm just wondering like, if you're able to share or, or provide a glimpse as to what, what that was like for you to be in that situation. You know, it's something I don't know if I ever do a real good job of explaining it, but it's something mm. like you never experience, you want to experience. It's just pure terror. Mm. Or some people say pure hell. I mean, it's the epitome, the ultimate of that. And I just can't find the words to knowing where I was and knowing the South. And my dad had to sleep with his gun overnight thinking people were going to come. They didn't come. And my mm. uncle told me about people hung down the street from his house. And you, you were helpless. You had no, you had to have lived that to understand. Mm. And I knew where I was and I knew what I was dealing with. And I knew mm. I couldn't get help from my grandfather. I couldn't call the police because a lot of times they are with them. Mm. And it's hard to imagine that in America, mm. sometimes it seems like a nightmare that you're in a situation where people can kill you on the spot and absolutely mm. nothing be done. Mm. And they throw you in the rivers, not because they trying, they just don't want body of land everywhere. But they hung so many people. They took the law, much like what the police are doing to some blacks now. Oh. The lay people could do it then and get away with it. Mm. Wow. These guys, you know, I was in fear for my life, but it, it was a it was a way of life. It was a way of life, oh. and we knew that. And I was aware of it, very conscious that that could happen. Mm. So that's what I was faced with when I started praying and asking God. Just I knew it was over, you know. And when it, I Emmy was not in the bed with me, grandfather having not knowing what room he was in. So they came to my room first, along with my uncle Maurice is in the bed. Oh. And my uncle didn't wake up and I could hear him coming and it's dark as a thousand midnights, no lights on, they come with a flashlight in one hand, pistol in the other. And I closed my eyes to be shot. I mean, when you're 16, you ain't trying to die, man. Mm. I welcome death now, I'm enjoying you all. Y'all pretty tough, but back in 16 years old, I'm trying to stay here, man. Plus, my relationship with God was right. So I know what that means. Your relationship with God not right. You ain't going to end up right. So, uh, it, it so you said you, you, you closed your eyes thinking that that's, this might be it. Yeah, I closed my eyes. You know, now my eyes, they pass by. You know, it's, it's, uh, you, it's hard to explain. Or uh, shaking like a leaf on a tree, I might say that. I was literally shaking. Imaginable. Literally shaking because I knew that was it. I mean, People have been killed for reckless eyeball. I mean, you could be killed for nothing. And I tell, and I tell them, uh, one of the writers, I said, y'all need to write about this because think about it. What I'm saying, the regular newspapers didn't carry these stories. Right, right. The black newspapers would tell them and they would confiscate them off the train coming down in advance. Mm -hmm. So we're not, it was not anything that was published only through the black newspaper they published because they were they were ashamed of what they were doing but it was done it was done and if you didn't live down there you had no idea what it was like you had a pretty good idea but you had no idea what it was like but we stayed in our place and we were very well even south now is still different it's still different in the mannerism and the relationship it takes time to overcome all of those uh fears and things and i'm not being critical of anybody it takes mm -hmm. to overcome those uh a southern way uh, uh, that we would come up under. 
Reverend Parker, I mean, I'm sitting here trying to take as many mental notes as possible. And I'm so very glad that we have this platform we can record and kind of interact with these stories because we're interacting with not only history, but our present day realities. And what, what you're describing to me sounds like terrorism, living through terrorism. I mean, the idea pure, of pure terrorism, pure terrorism. I mean, as you you're telling me that at 16 years old, uh, the, the fear of someone entering your home, pistols out, light flashlight out, and you are preparing for the moment where there will right. be no moments left. Right. That's terrorism. Right. Um, and there's and no that, legal repercussion. No legal no, no, repercussion. And I, what, what, I'm, what I'm curious at in that moment, describe like the atmosphere or the reactions of your uncle, the, the family at, at this time as well. I mean, everyone in your family is impacted and affected. And I know you mentioned like, you know, not having the fear of, you know, calling somebody like, who do you call in these moments when everyone is being affected by the same terrorism at the same time? Like everyone that was in the house, what was their also reactions and feelings in this moment? Uh, my uncle and baby would be never woke up, mm. never woke up. Next room, uh, you probably seen the story, Eyes on the Prize. Mm -hmm. Yes. He told that story. No, he wasn't there at all. But now he's there in the house. We didn't know he was in the next one. It was a large four-bedroom house, no hallways, one room right into the other. It was a land mm. former landowner's home. He mm. was in the next room. They went to that room. He didn't wake up. Went to the third room where Em was until my uncle Simeon. And uh, Em, it woke Emmy up. My other uncle's in the room with him. He didn't wake up. And they woke Simeon up through the reaction. So those were asleep. My grandmother ran next door. Tried to get the white man to help us. She tried to pay her money. And my mm. grandfather just said, the boy don't have good sense. You know, it was just, it was pure terrorism. Like it was just pure chaos. And he didn't want to put his shoes on. It was pure hell in that house, believe me. Sunday morning, getting ready. You know, next thing is church, you know. Mm. So that's, that's so, so you said in that moment, Emmett was trying to put his shoes on before leaving socks, the house. Socks, uh, socks, I think. Socks, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I understand. I couldn't tell what was going on, but we know things. Were, I knew things weren't right, and I didn't go over there. So uh, right. I think it aroused him and told him to get his shoes on, get dressed. And he's trying to put his socks on. They, they told him he don't need no socks. So you know, mm. I think he said something. I always put my. He had no idea what he was dealing with. He had no idea where he was at. He had no idea what kind of people, what kind of system. They did not want him to go for the specific reason what was happening then, they thought could happen. Mm. They knew the South. We knew the South. We knew the least the violation. They are trying to protect their Southern way of life. Mm. Even when they went to arrest these guys, they they cursed. We're protecting our Southern way of life. You come to, come to arrest us? And they wouldn't mm. go. They had to send mm. the high sheriff at them. High sheriff. And there's always been some whites with the fire in their belly to stand up for us at every corner. High Sheriff mm -hmm. told him, I'm taking you dead alive. You might as well get ready to go. Reverend Parker, I, I just, I have to ask that, I mean, two things that you mentioned, one of which you saying your grandmother had ran next door to the white neighbor for, yeah. for help. Were they helpful? Did they come over? No, nah, nothing. I think they may have known that they were coming. I don't know. I can't say. Mm -hmm. I can't see it. The house the that the white, the white neighbors lived in, they built that house for us before we left coming to coming to Illinois. That was our house, the shotgun house. Mm. And, then, and then that second piece in which you said there were always whites, whereas the sheriff went to go arrest the two men that came to get Emmett Till. I mean, that 
that to me, I think is very interesting insertion to the story as well, saying that the law enforcement had said, I'm coming to arrest these two folks. Now we know what the outcome of the case was, mm -hmm. but in that moment, knowing that, did you feel that there was some possibility that justice may serve? Hmm. Well, and to, and right away, we didn't know they were doing it because I left, I left ASAP. Next day, I'm on my way out. That morning, I left going to another park. And Monday, I was back at, in Chicago. Then hmm. uh, no. And, and when you were in Chicago on Monday, did you know uh, what had happened to Emmett by then? Or? No. They didn't you find said, him until Wednesday. Oh, my God. Yeah. But, but you were saying, but for yourself, you said, I, I got to get out of here. Yeah, ASAP. It's, my mother, they called my mother, and of course, they got my uncle next door, and he came with his pistol, and this guy left 13 kids at home to come get me, too. That's why I have a lot of respect for him, because he could have been killed for trying to help us, you know, getting involved. Mm. Uh, so he took me to Duck Hill, Mississippi, and, uh, and as a result of that, uh, I, I was able to get away and didn't sleep. I didn't sleep for, for Oh, about 40 hours or 30, 40 hours after that happened. It wasn't no sleeping, you know. I mean, that, that's that's a traumatic experience. That That is trauma. That is PTSD. Yeah, fear. And, and wow. it's fear. Reverend Parker, I, I've just, I, I have to add, I mean, I have, I have so many questions, Dr. Yaw, I'll, I'll, I'll hand it off to you <laughs> after this. But one of the things that I was curious about is that as these men are looking for Emmett Till allegedly whistling at a white woman, were they were they going around to other houses? Like, did they know that that was the house, or were they going around the community, different houses, knocking on doors, asking, or looking at other young black boys to see if that was who they were looking for? Did they come directly to that house, knowing which house it was? I couldn't answer that for sure, but I understand yeah. someone told them. Someone had to tell them where, Ooh, and yeah, it's yeah. not hard to do though. Right, right, right. Where we who we were. And where where we lived, hmm. but we were not from there, and uh, they came right to the house. I understand that they had at one point picked up a young boy they thought was in in that's 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 written too that's in history, mm -hmm. and uh, they threw him out I think off the truck he knocked some of his teeth out or something. Yes, mm. yes, yeah, mm. I do remember hearing that story. Yeah, mm. yeah. You know, and, and so Reverend Parker, um, what was the rest of your day like? I mean, after the alleged interaction between Emmett and Carolyn Bryant, I mean, were you all nervous the rest of the afternoon? I mean, or, you know, were things back to normal? I mean, did you all think, you know, hey, you know, that was close, but, you know, we should be okay? Or was, was there a sense of ominous brooding of, wait a minute, you know, you know we, we actually might have, um, you know, you know, entered into a, a different dimension here, you know, because like you said, you said earlier that Emmett just had no idea what the, what the culture was in the South, especially at that time. Yeah. And they didn't want him to go. They, they, he insisted. And normally when you go like that, you're always supervised by some adults. Hmm. The adults would have been in there with you to protect you. How many blacks have I told her say the stories? Me and my grandfather pulled me out the store. My auntie pulled me out the store. Boy, you know, protecting them and keeping them from getting killed. I see. Mm. All some stupid stuff, you know? I see. And they were serious about protecting their way of life. And the poorer they were, the worse they were. Mm. You, know, you know, and the thing is what you just said is so very instructive because, unfortunately, a lot of African-American parents have received a negative reputation for being you know, brusque or, or rough or harsh with their kids. Like, didn't I tell you? But what you're reminding us is 
this is a protective instinct based in love. As in, if you if you say the wrong thing at the wrong time, there could be severe consequences. So therefore, yeah. right? It's not that I'm trying to, um, you know, uh, you know, stop you from shining or stop you right, from right. You know, enjoying your childhood. I'm trying to protect you exactly. so you can enjoy your childhood. Because as we see, uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me, Reverend Parker, that at that time, um, you know, there was a lot of literature about you know white people being the master race, you know, and and being so dominant, but yet. You're so afraid that if I knock on the wrong door, you have to hang me by a tree. You're mm -hmm. so afraid that if, if, even if Emmett did whistle, I, I didn't say it was polite, but it's not punishable by death. This no. is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. I'm just trying to imagine, in addition, I mean, just how you all were navigating a life filled of terror and trauma. Like, how do you even find joy to laugh and love and live? You know, it's, it's kind of a, uh oxymoron or maybe that's not the word but man we look forward to going to the south every year man people they they flooded the south mm, right, because right. it's nothing like being at home with your family and mm. you didn't have to get into the system mm. and uh the system was as such if we lived in the country and the white boys lived out there they had to play with you you know but you knew that you didn't cross certain lines and if you, if you play with the white boy and the white girl, when she get about 12, 11, whatever, she out of there. Mm. She still had a relationship, out in the country, she still had a relationship. And, and uh, it was just a way of life. You learned to live it and you lived it well and you enjoyed each other. I mean, uh, they used to say down south, if a white man could be black one Saturday night, he, he would not want to be white again. Mm. And, they, and blacks have never wanted, think about it, we have never wanted to, we were never trying to integrate during the uh, time when Jim Crow, mm -hmm. I think we built 37 colleges. Mm. All we wanted, if they just been fair and equal, you would have to worry about so, what they worry about now. So, All we wanted to be, give us a fair chance, be fair all the way down the line, and we're mm -hmm. okay. We're okay over in the hood, across mm -hmm. the tracks, you know? Mm -hmm. we, we're enjoying ourselves over there, you know? Mm -hmm. So it uh, sounds like family and faith were the key ingredients that, that were able to help you still live oh, life. Yeah, for sure. And, sure. and, and persevere. Okay. And I hate that. I hate that because Dr. G, because we prayed our way out of slavery. We mm. prayed our way out of these things. Mm. Then I remember we started saying, get up off your knees and stop praying. Mm. You can do things. Faith without works is dead. Don't leave mm. it. Mm. Now our family is so helter skelter. Our problem with our children in Chicago, man, you can get shot ASAP for nothing. Mm. So be careful. I'm not trying to come on down. I don't, don't get scared. Stay up. <laughs> okay. But anyway, uh, we lost our families. Mm. Uh, police kill one and we go crazy. We can kill 10 in one week. I'm listening to the news today. Huh? They done moved into upper echelon neighborhoods now shooting and stuff like that, killing people. And at one time, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. But, you know, but Reverend Parker, I'm wondering whether, uh, you know, what we're seeing is a manifestation of all these seeds of trauma that were sown generations ago, mm. right? I mean, I'm not excusing it. I'm not exonerating, um, you know, the, the destruction um, because it, it is unfortunate. Um, but I'm, I'm just wondering whether we're seeing the manifestation of seeds of trauma that were sown years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it may be, it's kind of deep, <laughs> kind of deep. Yeah. Uh, 
And I just know, I'm going to eat the three. I've, I've lived to see the change. Mm. Mm-hmm. And one thing, we, we cut God out mm. as a black folk. Mm. We, were, we were very prayerful. We were very spiritual. And uh, we, we, we said, get up off your knees and start praying. So progress and success tend to, and Israel had the same problem. Every time God blessed them and give them a, couple of nickels to rub together, they got beside themselves. And after a while, when you're successful, you don't need God. Because basically, we, uh, learn, we learn you pray when you're in trouble. Hmm. So we came up north, man. We got some jobs at General Motors and Ford, and we made big money, and we started living good. And our southern upbringing was gone out the window, so to speak. Hmm. You can't turn your back on God and uh, keep going and and be successful. So that's some of the problem. That's some of the problem. Because we did well on the racism, under the things that was happening in the South South. We were very successful in our own areas doing our thing. Mm-hmm. And we, we we sent our kids, our girls especially, to college. And, and we, we were going fine. And of course, they want you to do good, but don't get too big. Otherwise, you're going to end up like the people out in Oklahoma, you know. Those people mm-hmm. mind their own business, had their own Wall Street, man. Oh, we ain't oh. trying to integrate. We ain't trying to be with y'all. Leave us alone. The massacre. Getting too big. You're getting too big. But, but Reverend Parker, when, when you say that, I mean, the idea of like constant fear still sounds so ingrained. I mean, do you, you're doing well. You're doing good. But don't do too well. Because we saw what we, we saw what what happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and similar to what Doctor G was saying earlier, when when black parents are parenting their children, don't do too much because we saw what happened to mm-hmm. Emmett Till. So this idea of that, you know, what what does it mean to really be a black human in America when you constantly have this idea of fear of what may happen to you mm-hmm. if 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 your humanity takes takes in place or in the same space or does too well within white spaces. I mean, how do you constantly live through that? I think that that relates a lot to what Dr. G was saying to this idea of what we're seeing now in the reality of Black America is the manifestation of so many different systems moving in the same place that has divided us. I mean, these things have pulled us in so many different directions. One of the things that I constantly think of, and it's a quote that really bothers me when people say this crab in the barrel mentality. Like yeah. you're always pulling each other down. Crabs were never meant to be in a barrel. Oh. Crabs were not meant to be. I'm fr- crabs oh. are meant to be in the ocean. Oh, what happens when point. you what happens when you put people in point. settings and situations in which they that's weren't survived, they weren't meant to survive to begin with. They I will destroy each saying. other. I see what you're saying. Because that's not where they belong. I see. So I, I think see. I think I, so so Reverend Parker, one of the things that I want to ask, and I think it relates directly to what we're talking about now, is after the situation with Emmett Till. What did your family do? Mm-hmm. What, what were you? How, how were you all processing? How did you all move forward? Yeah. And I think if you can, if you can give us the answers to right now, how do we move together and 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 go, and go forward now? I mean, reconciliation is what we're talking about now. But in 1955 and in 2023, mm-hmm. is the formula still the same? Mm-hmm. I, I think, and I, I often use Emmett's mother. She took the lemon and she made lemonade. Mm. This law, you can't take the law in your own hands. Mm. But you got to use the system that's in place. And if you don't believe it, take time and patience. Look at the law that just passed. A hundred years 
and 200, over 200 tries before they pass the anti-lynching law. But that's progress. And it still doesn't make people behave better, but it doesn't legislate the heart. And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with people uh, who are doing things to people in their heart. And sometimes the, the law is of such that you can bend it, okay? especially in the case of the police, what they're doing, they take the law and just uh, abuse it, you know, and uh, that's what we're faced with. So I try to tell young guys how to stay alive, not to be cowards, you're not a coward, survive. Mm. Mm. Live to use the system. You said, well, it took 200 years from, 100 years from to pass an anti-lynching law. I want some justice, when? Right now. Yeah, right, right, right. Right now. You're not gonna get it most of the time right now. Yeah. When they had they had a trial for those guys that did something in it. That was history. That was a big moment, Unheard right? Of. That was a big moment, right? Oh, I see. Big, a big, big moment. Big yeah, to have a trial. Right. That was progress. That was progress. Mm. And mm. the guy that was a prosecutor, we don't talk about him, but this guy suffered tremendously. Oh. Mm. oh. If you just see his face, the fear on his face when he had to prosecute. He had to have the state pull out. Oh. I communicate with his son. State police had to stay at the house, all the bad letters they got. So was, he, was he from the area too? Was he the, the prosecutor from the all area? All of those from the area became defense attorneys. They had to go outside the area, oh. up in uh, the, what we call the hills and get a guy. Mm. And he, his son and I became friends. He passed away and I'm friends with the other one. He just wrote me a letter and had an article in the paper down and said his dad did the right thing. Mm. But he suffered tremendously. Oh. Could have been killed for even Following the law, being prosecuted. Right. right. Reverend Parker, I just, I just, you know, looking at time, I know we have to close soon. I have, I have two quick questions and I'll, I'll hand it over to Dr. G. One of which, what do you tell the people that say that past is the past? Like that, that's history. Because mm -hmm. when we see the picture of Emmett Till, uh, when, when uh, Miss Mamie Till said, look what they did to my baby, and it was in front of that Jet magazine, it was in black and white. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when people see black and white pictures, they lose concept of how close the reality is to actual present moments. Good point. But for you, that wasn't a black and white photo. Mm -hmm. You saw it in color. In you color. saw it in live action. Oh, you saw yeah. it in motion. You're still yeah. living today. and You're still telling yeah. us a story today. Yeah. So for those that think what happened to Emmett Till was so far away, what, when we see the pictures of Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, Rosa Parks and, and Malcolm X, so we hear the story of Claudette Claudine, we think it's so far away. But in actuality, it's, it's still so very present still and connected. so very soon. Still connected. It's still connected. So what do you tell people that, that believe that history is so far away from us? Uh, you said it right. It's right here. We yeah. see it in the police. Back in those days, the layperson can do it. Same thing police have done. And we see the injustice of some of the. And what we also see, some of them have been convicted. Mm. What happened in Georgia, even up until this time, I'm 83, I said, I can't believe that they sent all three of these guys to prison for life. But all said, not Aubrey, yeah. Yeah, I said, they're going to they gonna let them out next week. They're going to mm. come with something. That's mm -hmm. kind of. I said, this, this is too, it's too, how can it, how can they, how can they do it? And that's down south. Yeah. And there's other cases. Uh, then you got the guy convicted, the guy in, um, in, in Minnesota up there with his knee on the guy's neck. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so back in the day, you wouldn't have got no consideration. Mm -hmm. No. So we have made progress. 
The wheels of justice grind, mm. but they grind slowly. Slowly, slowly. But you got to use the system. You can't use violence. Mm. You use violence, you're going to be a loser because you don't have nothing to be violent with. Mm. I mm. often think mm. about the Marine. He said, look, we, if one of our men get killed, and it goes with me a long way, he said, we don't go crazy and try out there shooting up everything. We recollect, get ourselves together. We got a plan. Get back to the plan and let's follow the plan. Mm. Let's get nobody left behind. And that's what we as black folk have. There's something on the table. There's something there. We can, there's ways we're going to do it. It's not you don't do anything, but there's always something you can do. Mm. And uh, like I say, uh, 200 tries, 100 years later, they kept trying. Uh, Ida B. Wells' great-granddaughter great was there. She spoke. So my great-grandmother came to this place 100 years ago looking for what we're getting today. Mm. We were there. You can't give up. You can't, you can't be impatient, you know. Mm. And that's why our marriage is in, in, in the chaos that it's in. Mm. Uh, people get married. Hey, man, you get married, you're going to have a few days in full of trouble. <laughs> hey, you, you know what my wife said, when we, what I'm going to say when we get to heaven? She said, I'm going to say, Lord, she's going to say, I'm going to say, Lord, not up here, too. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> So we got, oh, wow. to, we got to hang in there. Wow. So in the home, on the street, in our neighborhood, we can't give up on the brothers. Mm. Oh, and I'm, I, I like black folks, so I'm trying to help them. But we don't have no outrage about the craziness going on in our neighborhood. Mm. No outrage. I've seen a time we'd be afraid to get, get caught in the white neighborhood in Chicago. Years ago, you get killed. Now you don't want to get caught in your own neighborhood in there. And that ain't, that's not good. Mm-hmm. There's no outrage that the church got to do better. Yeah, absolutely. And Reverend Parker, you know, before we go um, at, at this one, our last question is something we usually like to close with. Um, and we're we having these conversations. And I think there's a, a curly head madman that, that says this often is that history should be a tool to bring us together and allows us to embrace and explore as opposed to divide and will us apart. So for you, in, in the spirit of the conversation that we're having, what does reconciliation mean to you? How do you define reconciliation? How do you live out reconciliation? And what do you think the hope is for reconciliation? Well, you know, as a Christian, it's innately put, it ain't innately, but it's put in us. Uh, all the scriptures are there and you got to apply them and we apply them, Jesus applied them. And uh, it seemed like he was weak, but he was strong. And Martin Luther King uh, ascribed to the same type of teaching that you got to love your neighbor like this. You got to treat people like you want to, want to be treated. Uh, that's the golden rule. And, and you can do those things. You're going to be a winner every time. People who do that. Violence works for a while, but after a while, it, 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 tur it, it, it turns back uh, against you. So we got a system there. We got to do like the Marines. Recollect. You got a plan. Use the plan. We lost a brother over here. He got killed. We got a lot of them got killed, but we got to come back and get ourselves together. If you go out there crazy, all of us are going to get killed. So you got to go back and get the plan. And that's what got us here. And that can take us farther. But it's a slow process. Slow process. We've been in America for 400 years or whatever it is. And uh, we, we came here as slaves. We're not slaves now. Hmm. And sometimes we, we enslave ourselves. Sometimes we enslave ourselves. We, we've done a lot of things that hurt ourselves. 
lot of things. I see it all the time and it, it bothers me tremendously. And that's our own doings. That's our own doing. We as black people in America, I think it's around 170 nations in the world. We command enough money to be the seventh nation in the world out of 170. Hmm. We're powerful. We have money. We got power. It's how we use it and how we spend our money. And it bothers me. Sometimes it doesn't even turn over in our neighborhood one time, you know. But we like to be seen and we have uh, things that we need to correct. We need to change our way of living. And we can do it. And Reverend Parker, when you say we can do it, I believe you because you are doing it. And mm -hmm. you embody the spirit of persistence, mm -hmm. of faith, and passion. The idea that you have not forgotten your cousin, that you carry on his living legacy, and that you seek to minister, literally, to people to share seeds of greatness so that people can see the art of the possible. This is the spirit of reconciliation. I'm so very thankful to have this moment to connect with you and our living history. History is very much alive. It's not static. It's not something that we, we can't touch and, and mold, but for us to have this conversation and you being willing to be vulnerable and to open up those doors that you know were from way back when and to allow us to see and, and, and glimpse just what you experienced is very humbling for us because we did not want to necessarily rehearse um, trauma, but we just want to appreciate and understand the living sacrifice that you and others have made because it is incumbent upon us to take our job very seriously in pushing this forward as, as well as we can. Because ultimately, as we always say, we are doing the best we can with what we have. And we will continue to do so knowing that you embody the spirit of reconciliation, knowing that Emmett Till's life is not in vain, and knowing that you're right, we have a lot of living to do. And so Irvin Parker, we wish to say thank you, my brother, and may you keep yeah, on I, I, keeping on. I thank you guys for what you're doing, man. I admire you guys. And oh, you guys are uh, a good role model. And you certainly uh, have my uh, blessings and uh, I'm, I'm very impressed by you guys and make me feel good. Mm. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Well, we and I'm looking it. forward to hearing the message tomorrow. Uh -oh. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Okay. No pressure. No pressure. Make sure, oh. make sure you tune in, man. Yeah, oh, uh, I'm, I'm tuned in. I'm tuned in, Reverend Parker. I, when I get it, when I get a chance to get to Chicago, I'll definitely come visit you as well. Okay. You more than well. What part of Texas you guys in again? We're in Fort Worth. Fort Worth. Fort Worth. Fort Worth. Right, right outside of Dallas. Okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right there. Y'all in Fort Hood there. <laughs> you know what you know, Fort, Fort Hood is? Yeah, and Colleen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my. Man, I remember when you couldn't stop in Colleen. Okay. <laughs> when you came off that base part, you had to keep hopping. <laughs> wow. So, so we made we, progress. And speaking of which, do you actually remember using this thing called the Green Book? No, no, no. I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't traveling like that. <laughs> okay. 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 I know about it though. Yeah. But you know about it. Okay. Right. 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 You know. Because we, we did have. I knew how we had to travel. <laughs> right. Because we did have sundown towns here in Texas. We did. Illinois too. I'm talking to a yeah. guy now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> they were everywhere. They wow. were everywhere, boy. We've been through a lot. That's and sometimes, what I'm we, sometimes we forget where we came from. Right. Our mm. biggest problem, and one of the biggest problems, is us 
when we're doing these, we command money. We handle money, man. Mm -hmm. We somebody. We are. We to use it. I mean, we we, we, we I work with kids yeah. now, and I'm 87 years old. We with Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts because we put here to serve. If you're not serving, you're just wasting your time. Mm. Everybody put here to serve someone else. And that's what we need to get back to. I said, yeah, take yeah. the village to raise it. That's what we need to get back to. We used to have that. We don't have that anymore like we used to. Mm. Yes. We, we, we are somebody, man. We command a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. We just need to take advantage. When I started working in the community about 27 years ago, we formed an organization. I said, what we need to do, we don't need no money. All we need we, is work with these people here. We got programs. Let's use them. We got parenting classes and all those things. Let's do it. Just get out there yes. and do it. We can do a whole lot without money. We well, did. Go ahead. Well, no, I was saying, I mean, because, I mean, to your point, we are very powerful, but I think to the extent that we don't realize our connection to our past and to our history, that's where many of us, you know, might become lost in our way and confused. And so to the extent that we know that we're connected to an awesome legacy of strength, power, and resilience, strength, faith, I mean, the idea of Sankofa, we're always looking back as we're moving, moving forward. So for us to be able to make this connection with you, Ms. Perkins made an excellent point about it's more than just a black and white photo. No, this is living color and you're, and you're living embodiment of the history that we need to acknowledge, respect and reconcile with. And so to the extent that we know that this happened and know that it wasn't that long ago, um, you know, this really humbles us in terms of knowing that 40, 50 years from now, we don't want our grandchildren asking us, well, how come you didn't do more, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, I mean, while we have lung air in our lungs, while we have strength of spirit, you know, why, why, why would we not try to do the best we could with what we have? Yes, yeah. You guys so, get in that, get in there and do it. I'm gonna be watching you. Okay, okay, I'm be, all right. I'm gonna be joining you too. I'm ain't much, <laughs> hey, ain't much left, but I got a little bit left. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, listen, I'm really, um, really impressed by you guys, man. Keep up the good work. Well, again, Reverend Willow Parker Jr., it has been our pleasure and privilege to have this conversation with you as we look forward to continuing the good work that good people like you and others have fostered. So thank you, my brother. We shall continue. See you in the morning. Yes, sir. Right. Yep. I cannot promise what will ultimately happen as a result of our enterprise in studying TC's relationship with slavery, racism, and the Confederacy. But I can pledge to you that we are doing the best we can with what we have.